Kingdom to series of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hello. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 130 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see this list of Patreon episodes, just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the Patreon tab, and that will take you to our Patreon, where you can see all the previous Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the creature of Ilkley Moor, which is about a mysterious four-foot-tall green humanoid-like creature that has been spotted multiple times over the past 200 years. It's super strange. Even 35 years ago, a police officer was able to capture a photograph of it. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Satchwatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is the Loch Ness Monster. So how this episode will go today is we'll talk a little bit about the history of the area where the creature is spotted at. And then we'll go into the first encounter of the Loch Ness Monster and then talk about various other ones that have happened throughout the years all the way up until like a year ago. And then after that, we're going to get into strange facts and findings, theories, and of course wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In the early 1930s, rumors of an enormous dinosaur-like creature spotted swimming in a nearby lake spread throughout Scotland. Many disregarded these rumors until an individual was able to capture a photograph of this mythical creature. Since then, people from all over the world have traveled to this lake in hopes of spotting this local legend. Is this entire thing made up as a way to get tourism to the area? Or is there really a prehistoric creature residing in the depths of a lake in Scotland? This is the Loch Ness Monster. All right, so to start this episode off, we first need to discuss what Nessie is. And by the way, Nessie is the Loch Ness Monster's nickname. So we're going to refer to the Loch Ness Monster as Nessie or as Loch Ness. So there you go. All right, Dan, do you want to tell us a little bit about this creature? So in the country of Scotland, 
there is a lake called Loch Ness. And in that lake, there's supposedly a large creature that lives there. And just a little knowledge nugget for you, but that Loch Ness Lake holds the largest volume of fresh water in the United Kingdom. So it's pretty big. Now the description of this Loch Ness creature varies. However, the consistent description seems to be that it is a very large aquatic animal that has a long neck, fins, a thick tail, and a snake-like head. It is also greenish in color and has black lumps on its back. Now, like Aaron mentioned, the description of this creature varies because no one has been able to capture a good photograph of it. And the reason for that is because apparently this creature is very elusive and usually by the time you realize you have spotted it, it has already disappeared back under the surface of the water. Which that right there rolls us into the next thing that we're going to talk about. Which is, when was the first time this creature was ever spotted? So Aaron, do you want to tell us about that? Now before I tell you about the first time this creature was spotted, you first need to know about a certain individual, an Irish monk named St. Columba. So this St. Columba lived back in the 500 AD, and he was a missionary who is credited for spreading Christianity in what is known today as Scotland. So why do we mention this St. Columba dude? Well, the very first recorded sighting of Nessie, you know, aka the Loch Ness Monster, was by St. Columba in 565 AD. Now, Dan, I figured instead of us talking about this incident, that we could actually go back in time and see it for ourselves. So are you down for a Montauk journey? I'm always down for a Montauk journey. Nice. And if this is y'all's first time listening to us, or maybe this is your first time hearing a Montauk journey, Dan, fill him in on what a Montauk journey is. All right. We each have our own little personal Montauk chair that we hop into. We set the date and time and we hit that button and zoom into the past we go. We travel back in time to certain locations to view certain events to help us better understand them. All right. So are you strapped in your Montauk chair, Dan? I'm strapped in, ready to go. All right. I need you to set the date to August 22nd. 565 A.D. Got it. All right. And I already have the location preset for you, so you don't have to mess with that. So are you all set and ready to go? I'm ready. And go. Are you good, Dan? You all right? Yeah, I think I'm think I'm good. Man, I never get used to time travel. I get a little wheezy, but... I always get a freaking boner, man. Anyway, so here we are. It is the year 565 AD, and we are in the country of Scotland. Well, back in 565 AD, it wasn't actually Scotland, but we'll call it that right now. And as you can see, if you look around, there is a river near us. And you see that bridge over there that crosses over that river? I do. Well, in just a few moments, St. Columba will come walking right by us and cross that bridge. Now, we can't let him see us because that will create like a butterfly effect and screw up the timeline and we won't be able to go back to our original timeline. Understood. So we have to be sneaky. Yes, we do have to be sneaky. We are going to hop into these bushes and hide so that we can watch what happens. All right, I'm picking this bush right here, Aaron. All right, I'm hopping in there with you.
St. Columba cheerfully walks along the gravel path on his journey to visit a local king. As he is walking, he hears something in a nearby bush, stops for a moment, but ultimately disregards it and continues walking. The worn gravel path takes St. Columba to a bridge that crosses over a river that is called Ness. As St. Columba crosses the river, he happens to notice some people near the shoreline digging a hole. Being a curious fellow, he decides to walk down to the river shoreline and greet the individuals. Top of the morning to you lads. Say, do you lads have time to learn about the Messiah Jesus Christ? The two men kneeling down at the hole on the shoreline were startled. They quickly stand up and turn around to face St. Columba. Say, mister, we don't want no trouble. Be not worried, lads, for I am just a messenger of God, and I... St. Columba stopped mid-sentence. He was shocked at what he just noticed. The hole that the two men had been digging had a dead body inside of it. it, it it's not what it seems. You see this body in this hole? We didn't kill this guy. Our friend was swimming and a giant monster came from deep inside the river, attacked us, and killed our friend. We luckily were able to rescue his body before the beast devoured it all. A wave of relief washes over St. Columbus' face. He clears his throat and says the following, Aye, I've heard ye tales of river monsters. I once knew a lad named Jeremy Wade who used to catch them here, but that's beside sea point. Say, there's a ferry over there. You think one of you can go onto the other side of that bank there and go fetch it for me? First off, why do you need a ferry boat? And secondly, you want one of us to go swim across the river and fetch it for you. After we just witnessed a big-ass monster come from out of this lake and kill one of our friends? Aye, I do be needing that boat there, lad. And don't you be worrying about no monster. I'll protect ye. Well, uh, I, I guess I'll go get it for you then. The local removes all of his clothing except his tunic and leaps into the water. He starts to quickly swim across the river towards the boat, hoping he does not become prey to the creature in the water. However, the monster lying at the bottom of the stream becomes aware of the person above and it suddenly rises out of the water and makes a loud roaring sound. Oh, shit. The local man begins to swim more quickly as the large creature darts towards him with its mouth wide open. I'm a goner for sure, stupid-ass Irish dude. Why do I even listen to him? As the creature is about to devour the local man swimming, St. Columba raises his hand, forming the sign of the cross in the air, and says the following towards the creature. Thou shalt go no further, nor touch the man. Return with all speed. The monster quickly became terrified and fled away from the local man and disappeared deep into the river. At that point, everyone who was present was struck with admiration and began to cheer. Did you see that freaking creature down there, Dan? That big ass dinosaur looking thing? Dude, I saw it, but do I believe it? I don't know. 
That shit was crazy. What do you mean, do you believe it? You witnessed it with your own eyes, this freaking creature coming out of the water. They didn't have animatronics back in the 500s. That's what I'm saying. It was so crazy. It's just it's hard to believe, but it was there. All right, so let's get back to the studio before this creature comes back. I don't want to get eaten, all right? So hop in your chair. Are you ready to go? I'm definitely ready to go after that. All right, and go. I'm glad to be back. Oh, I'm definitely glad to be back. We got AC now. Yeah, it was hot back then, huh? It was. I kind of wanted to go for a swim until I saw that creature. I mean, that'd be a good exercise trying to swim for your life, I guess. Yeah, it would be. All right. So what we just witnessed was the very first recorded sighting of Loch Ness. And this entire event was actually recorded in the biography of the life of St. Columba about 100 years after it had taken place. So yeah, keep that in mind as we go forward. It wasn't like they wrote it down as soon as it happened. They waited 100 years or so to write this event down. Yeah, which is kind of weird. But like you said, that was the first documented sighting of the Loch Ness Monster, a.k.a. Nessie. But the sightings did not stop there. That wasn't the only one. Throughout the years, there have been multiple people stating that they have witnessed this creature as well. And some who even made claims that they've captured footage of it. And that is what we're going to go over right now. Some additional sightings of this creature. So Dan, would you like to start that off for us? So like Aaron stated, since the St. Columba sighting, this creature was a local legend. It was pretty much unknown to the outside world until around 1933, when a new road was built on the northern shore of Loch Ness Lake that provided easy access to unobstructed views of the water. Now immediately after this road was built, multiple individuals started to make claims that they were seeing some weird, gigantic creature in the lake in which these claims started to draw international attention. It was at this point that the Daily Mail wanted to take advantage of this Loch Ness monster craze and run a news report about it. So in that same year of 1933, the Daily Mail hired a famous hunter named Marmaduke Ritherell. The Daily Mail wanted Marmaduke to travel up to the lake of Loch Ness to investigate the sightings and to find the monster. After months of searching, Marmaduke did not locate the monster. However, in December of 1933, he did locate what appeared to be its footprints. Enormous footprints on the shore of the lake leading in to the water. And just a little side note, the river that we talked about during the first encounter happening at, that was the river called Ness. Well, that river flows into the large freshwater Loch Ness Lake that we're talking about right now. So yeah, just a little side note for you in case you were confused. Anyway, continuing on. Alright, so this hunter named Marmaduke discovered those footprints along the shore that led into Loch Ness Lake. Now, these footprints were huge. They were so big, in fact, that Marmaduke estimated that the creature that left these footprints had to be at least 20 feet long. Shortly after that, casts were made of these footprints and then sent off to the Natural History Museum in London to be analyzed. A short time later, the results came back and it stated that the footprints on the shore of Loch Ness were that of a hippopotamus. A hippo left footprints in Scotland. And I know what you were wondering. There are hippos in Scotland? 
No, <laughs> there are no hippos in Scotland and it's okay. I'm stupid. I had to search that up and actually look and see. So this is where it kind of gets confusing, but try and stay with us here. Okay. So even though there are no hippos in Scotland, the prints that were made in the shore were real hippo prints. However, they were made by someone taking an old umbrella stand that was made from the severed foot of some poor hippo. So Marmaduke was bashed by the Daily Mail, and he pretty much went into hiding since his reputation was ruined. And I know some of y'all may be wondering why we mentioned this. I mean, it really wasn't a sighting. And, you know, Marmaduke was called out for making uh, fake footprints. Now, we're not trying to discredit the Loch Ness sightings. We mention this story because it plays a role later on and it all connects and it will make sense. Just try and stick with us here, all right? So the next sighting was one year later in 1934. This is when the first photograph of what was Loch Ness was supposedly taken by a London surgeon named R.K. Wilson. This photograph showed something coming out of the water with a long neck arched over what seemed to be a thick body under the surface of the water. Now, this photograph would become the infamous surgeon's photo, which became the most credible evidence of Nessie at the time. Now, what made this photograph so credible? It had Nessie. That's why. A lot of people think that, yeah. Was it because it had the creature in it, like Dan said? No, it was solely because the photo was taken by a doctor, and everyone at the time Never thought a doctor would lie about something like this. He's a doctor. We have to trust him. You know, yeah. trust him with our lives. Why wouldn't we trust him with a photo? Yeah. Well, the story behind the photograph is pretty bizarre. The doctor stated that he was driving up from London with a friend to photograph some birds. As they were driving along, the doctor looked over at Loch Ness Lake and noticed some commotion in the water. So he decided to pull over and snap a photograph of what he was seeing. And we do have that photograph, and if you want to see it, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on Episodes, and you should see this week's episode, which is the Loch Ness Monster. You click on that, and scroll down, and the photograph will be right there. And when people talk about the Loch Ness Monster, and they, they envision it, I think a lot of people think of this photograph right here. It is by far the most famous one. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a neck of something coming up out of the lake and it zoomed in pretty close. So for the next 60 plus years, this photograph was considered authentic and proof that some undiscovered or maybe even prehistoric creature lived in Loch Ness Lake. Because of that reason, it was published in many different magazines, newspapers, and books. However, it was discovered that the photo was a fake and all part of an elaborate plan to fool the Daily Mail. Now, how was this elaborate plan uncovered? Well, it was all started with an individual named Alistair Boyd, who was a former English teacher and an avid Loch Ness lore enthusiast. So in 1979, Boyd and his wife had their own Loch Ness sighting, in which they told their friends about. A few years later, one of Boyd's friends was looking through old newspapers and found an article from an individual named Ian Wetherill. Now, Ian was the son of Marmaduke, the guy who faked the footprints. While in this article, Ian claims that the surgeon's photo of Loch Ness was a hoax. 
Now, this newspaper article was published in 1975, and at the time, it didn't receive much attention, and most people just kind of blew it off. However, Boyd's friend, who discovered the old newspaper article years later, ended up showing it to Boyd because he was like, hey, Boyd is my friend. He's super into Loch Ness. He may find this interesting. So Boyd read the article and noticed that Ian mentioned that the hoax not only involved the surgeon, a.k.a. the doctor who took the photograph, but also a man named Maurice Chambers. Now, you remember how the doctor who took the photo stated that he was driving up from London with a friend to take photographs of birds. Yes. Well, that friend he was driving up with was Maurice Chambers. So the other thing Boyd noticed about the article was the photograph of Loch Ness that Ian had provided in the article. It was different from the one that he had seen all the previous years. This photograph was a zoomed out one that showed the scenery of Loch Ness in the background as well. Of course, we have a copy of this photograph and we will place it on our website for anyone to take a look at. But pretty much, just like Dan said, it is the original Loch Ness photograph, except it's way zoomed out. And you can see, you know, the scenery all around it. Yeah. And at that point, no one had seen this photograph before. This was the original one. And it was just published once in that newspaper article in 1975. So Boyd was like, holy shit, why is no one talking about this? So the famous photo that Boyd had seen all the years prior only included the creature's neck and head protruding from the water. This photograph in the news article was the uncropped version of it. So Boyd thought to himself that maybe Ian took the picture himself. Of course, Boyd tried to get a hold of Ian to ask him some questions. However, Ian had already passed away by then. Now, Boyd was able to locate Ian's stepbrother, Christian Sperling, who was still alive at the young age of 93. Now, Christian knew about the photograph, and he actually confirmed that the entire thing was a hoax. And just an FYI, Christian Sperling was the stepbrother to Ian. And the stepson of Marmaduke. Yes, the stepson of Marmaduke. So Christian stated that Marmaduke, his stepdad, had decided to get revenge on the Daily Mail for the way that they treated him after the hippo foot fiasco. So Marmaduke recruited his son Ian and his stepson Christian to help him with his revenge plot. Christian then said that he built a model monster by grafting a head and neck onto the top tower of a toy submarine. Then Marmaduke and Ian drove up to the lock and staged the photograph, making sure to capture part of the shoreline in the background to prove its location. Christian then said that Marmaduke knew that he couldn't submit this photograph to the Daily Mail because they didn't trust him after the whole hippo footprint incident. So instead, he had his friend Maurice Chambers, who was friends with the doctor, have the photograph developed and then sell it to the Daily Mail as his own. Now, Christian stated that the plot worked way better than they could have ever imagined. His stepfather Marmaduke and his brother Ian and himself, they're all like, sweet, we got back at the Daily Mail. At that point, Boyd decided that he was going to tell the world the truth about the entire Loch Ness photograph being a fake, but he decided to wait until Christian passed away to then reveal that the entire thing was a hoax. Which, I mean, kind of good on Boyd. You know, he uncovered this entire hoax and was like, you know what, I'm just going to wait 
until this Christian guy passes away. He only has a couple more years. I want to let him live it out rather than be hounded by journalists. I don't know. I find it kind of suspicious. It is a little suspicious. But anyway, uh, something else to add to this sighting is an image that was shown by Christian as an example of how the design of the model submarine with the fake Loch Ness parts on it actually worked. And of course, we will have this image on our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it. But pretty much, it's a diagram of the water and like a, like a miniature submarine with a giant dinosaur head attached to it. It says, Nessie, made from plastic, wood, painted gray, approximately 12 inches high. Then the submarine's like a 14-inch model submarine with a lead strip on the bottom of it to weigh it down. Yeah, that looks like it must have took a lot of engineering work to get that thing to actually stay afloat and upside. So there you go. If you want to go take a look at that image, just go to our website, click on the episodes, click on the Loch Ness Monster and scroll down and it will be right there for you. So that right there was the second sighting of the Loch Ness Monster and probably one of the most famous ones. So now we're going to get into the next documented sighting, which happened way back in 1951. Now at this time, there was a forestry worker named Lachlan Stewart who actually lived on Loch Ness Lake. And he was actually able to capture a photograph of little old Nessie. So Lachlan Stewart stated that he was looking out at the lake when he saw three humps moving through the water. At that point, he was just like, oh shit, and ran back into his house and grabbed his camera. He was able to take one photograph before all of a sudden the shutter jammed on his camera. So, of course, we do have this photograph, and we'll have it on our website as well for anyone to take a look at it. But it is a black and white photograph that is pretty bad quality, and it shows the lake with the mountains in the background, and probably, I don't know, 20 to 30 feet away from the shore, you see these humps, three of them, and it just looks like rocks sticking out of the water, like big rocks coming up out of the water. They do just look like rocks. I mean, the middle one sticks up a little bit more, but they just look like rocks. Yeah. And you can't really tell what it is. I mean, because it's just dark, like bumps in the water because the photo resolution is so bad. Yeah. So that was the documented sighting by Lachlan. Now we're going to go into our next documented sighting that happened four years after that one. So, Dan, do you want to tell us about this one? In 1955, an individual named Peter McNabb, who was a bank manager, was able to capture a photograph of the supposed Loch Ness Monster in the Loch Ness Lake. And just a little knowledge nugget, but this one is probably the best photograph of the creature, and it has actually withstood scientific examination. And it's pretty darn clear. It's not like the previous one that was taken four years prior. This one's actually decent resolution. Yeah, and... Like, you see the shoreline in the background, the water, and look like an old brick building on the right side of, like, a little peninsula there. But at the bottom left of it, you can see something pretty long, and it's, like, traveling through the water. And the water is, like, the rest of it's calm. It's just that one spot where that, whatever it is. Yeah, you see a hump sticking, actually two humps sticking out of the water. It looks like a giant snake. It would look like an anaconda if it, there was an anaconda in Scotland. Yeah. So, of course, we'll have this photograph on our website and go take a look at it if you want to. All right. So the next documented sightings that we're going to talk about 
actually happened in May of 2011. An individual named James Gray and his friend Peter Leving were out fishing on Loch Ness Lake whenever they seen something giant come out of the lake. At this point, they decided to whip out the cameras and take some photographs, in which they published those photographs in their local newspaper. So in total, there were around like three to four photographs, I think, of it. And we have the Shutterstock link of the images that are all separate. Yeah, I don't think we can publish these photographs on our website because of them being owned by Shutterstock. But we have the link and you can go to it and you don't have to log in to see these photographs. Yeah, we have the we also have the newspaper article with the pictures on there as well, which they're not as big as if you go to the site to view them. But there's definitely four photos of whatever the creature is. And it looked honestly looks like the very first photo, the surgeon's photo of the creature. Nessie sticking its head out of the water and whatnot. But these are very clear pictures, unlike the surgeon's photo. Yeah, they're extremely good quality and very weird. It looks like a it looks like an elephant's trunk coming out of the water. Nah. Doesn't it? I mean, that's what I see. That is definitely a possibility. It's weird. So, like Dan said, there's three or four photos, and all of them are pretty much the same. It just shows like a giant, long <laughs> thing coming out of the water and then going back down. These are by far the best quality photographs, and I would have to say the best evidence so far. Oh, definitely. And, and it's partly in color. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I suggest everyone going and taking a look at these. These are pretty good. Anyway, so the last sighting that we're going to talk about occurred here recently, only one year ago. Now, before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So last year, during one summer afternoon, a 54-year-old man named Richard Maver was out camping near the shore of Loch Ness. He decided to whip out his drone and fly it around the lake to capture some footage. After reviewing his footage, Richard was shocked at what he captured on his video recordings. Very close to the shoreline where he was standing, there was a large creature swimming. Now, we do have a link to that video, and we'll post it on our website for anyone wanting to watch it. Have you seen this video, Dan? Yes, I have. It, okay, so for those of you who have not seen it, it's a very short clip, probably 30 seconds, and it's an eagle eye shot, of course, because it's a drone shooting it, of the lake down below, and it's right along the shoreline, and you can see the drop-off area that's in the water, right? So you walk, what, into the water, and it goes from two to three feet, and then there's a drop-off that goes to however many feet. Yeah, it looks about 10 feet out, maybe? Yeah. If that. And right at that drop-off, you see the body of some creature and its long-ass neck just reaching across. Whatever it is, is pretty damn big, and it has an enormous neck. And you can see in the video, it comes from this drop-off and floats upwards to the shallow part, and then its neck extends. Yeah, I think Rich is like part of some uh, Rich outdoors company or whatever and then i guess they were out just like testing some of their equipment and stuff 
and I guess just pretty much sightseeing. And he took the drone out and that's what they were just doing. Just like, you know, getting video of the area and all that. And it was showing that they found like this little strip of beach that was very small and whatnot that they decided to stay on. And that's where it ended up showing up at. You know, when I watch this clip more and more, it looks CGI. No, it doesn't look CGI. I think I know what it is. What do you think? it is? Well, do we want to get into that yet or? Uh, hold on. I, I just want to throw this out there real quick. When you look at this video over and over again, the first couple times I seen it, I was like, okay, that's a weird looking big creature. But again and again and again after watching it, it looks almost as if a fish, a large fish, was sitting in this shallow spot basking in the sun, got frightened and swam down into the deeper part. And when it swam really fast, it kicked up the dirt. And what looks like a creature's body is actually the dirt being kicked up from the fish. Watch the video and tell me what you think. Let me take a look at this real quick. I would almost say yes to that, but if it was in the sun basking on the, the, the shoreline, then that would mean if it swam off and kicked up dirt, that means the thick part of it, most of it would be on the shoreline almost. Yeah. Okay. The, b- the body of it was more in the deeper part where it had like the neck and all that on the shoreline. Well, it does come from the, when you watch it, this whatever comes from the deep part. Maybe something in the deep kicked up some dirt and then the dirt just floated up to the top. Or something bigger chased a fish up to, onto the shore and it kicked up dirt when it went up to the shore to hide. Yeah. Because you think most fish that try to get away, they'll go to like a part that it can't get to. So maybe it thought it couldn't get to there. I don't know. I would like to hear other individuals and what their opinion on what this video could be. You can go to our website, watch the video. It'll be there for anybody that wants to see it. Let us know what you think. You know, honestly, I first thought it was CGI. I'm like, looks kind of fake to me, but I, I don't know. Yeah. And so I know that there are a lot more sightings of this Loch Ness monster. For example, there's actually a Loch Ness sighting registry. Did you know about this, Dan? I did know about this. Yeah, it's crazy. And currently, there has been 1,143 total Loch Ness monster sightings. So they keep track of any time anyone's ever seen the monster. So needless to say, it would take us a very long time to go over every single one of those sightings. So instead of us spending all that time going over all those, I figured instead we could talk about some weird, strange facts and findings that we came across while researching this topic. So that's what we're going to get into. So Dan, do you want to start this off for us? Of course. Before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We will be right back. Don't go nowhere. All right, welcome back. So our first strange fact and finding is about an operation called Operation Deep Scan. So back in 1987, an individual named Adrian Shine who was the leader of the Loch Ness Project, led this operation. So this Operation Deep Scan would be considered the most extensive search for the Loch Ness Monster. It consisted of 24 boats that were equipped with high-tech sonars, which covered the entire 22.5-mile-long, 889-feet-deep Loch Ness. So the crew of this operation was out on the lake for an entire week, setting up and scanning the entire lake. Which, side note, It cost this group around 1 million euros to do this operation. So it wasn't cheap. No, it was still like $998,000 for 
for uh, American. That's current time. I don't know how much it was back then, though. Yeah, but still, I mean, one million euros, that's a lot of change for any time, you know? That is a lot. Anyway, so the first day the operation ended, everyone was feeling optimistic because they actually had three strong sonar contacts that were larger than to be expected in the lake. So two of those sonar contacts seemed to be bigger than sharks, but they really didn't know what they were. The third one, they said it was just a very large fish. On the second day, they scanned again from where they had left off. Five other boats were sent out to scan the area where they had previously picked up the three large sonar contacts the day prior. However, they were not located, so they disappeared. The sonar contacts of the, the three large mysterious things in the lake? Correct. Okay. Now, after it was all done, the operation team was pretty disappointed. Nothing notable was found, and they never did find out what those three large sonar contacts were. So pretty much they lost it that first day. And they spent a million euros. A million euros doing this. Well, sometimes you got to risk it for the biscuit, Dan. They didn't get no biscuit. <laughs> they didn't. All right, so let's talk about our next strange fact and finding, which is about a triathlon. So back in 2005, there was a triathlon that was held in Scotland. Now, in case you are stupid like I am, and I didn't really know what a triathlon was because I'd never competed in, the, in, in any of those events. Wait, you, ne- you never known what a triathlon was? I mean, I know what like a Ironman was. I kind of had an idea what a triathlon was, but I wasn't certain if it was like swim, run, bicycle, or if it was just swim and run. I didn't know what combination of things it was. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I had to look it up. And a triathlon is where individuals swim over a certain amount of miles, then they get done swimming, they get on a bicycle, and they ride a certain amount of miles, and they get off their bicycle, and then they run a certain amount of miles. And they do this back to back to back on the same day until they cross the finish line, which in my opinion, much respect to those people that can do that, that is insane. In my opinion, I couldn't see myself swimming and then bicycling and then running. No, definitely not. All right. So like Aaron said, back in 2005, a triathlon was held in Scotland. And the start of this event had their participants swim at the Loch Ness Lake to start the race off. Now, because of the Loch Ness Monster sightings, the athletes from all over the world who were competing in this event were kind of worried. They were afraid that if Nessie was real, that they would be attacked while swimming. I don't blame them. I don't blame them either. You got this big ass deep lake and they're starting you off in this triathlon swimming this giant lake where the Loch Ness Monster has been sighted in. Mm. Just, just think about it. You're going to do, do, uh, do a triathlon. First part of it's swimming. In the area you go to, they're selling souvenirs and all this shit about a damn monster in the lake that, <laughs> with like big ass teeth and all that stuff. But yet they want you to swim how many miles in this thing? <laughs> yeah, screw that. Yeah, I'd be scared. Yeah, so it's understandable that some of the athletes were pretty nervous. There was so many of them that were nervous that the National Insurance and Guarantee Corporation, who was like the insurance arm of the Royal Bank of Scotland, they decided to help the triathlon out with this issue. So what they did is they insured each athlete for a million euros just in case the Loch Ness Monster came up and bit them while they were swimming. Oh my gosh. So they literally had like a cryptid insurance thing going on. 
Just think if that was like a real thing, like get your cryptid insurance since you live in this state. You never know when Mothman's going to come and, you know, swoop you away or a loved one. There was something that I read about, about like a UFO abduction insurance where you pay X amount of dollars and it ensures that you get paid out if you get abducted by a UFO or some shit like that. I don't know. I vaguely remember reading about it. So what kind of testing would they do to prove that you got abducted? There was a lot that I read about, but my thing is, if I'm competing in this triathlon and I get my foot bit off, or if I get almost killed by this Loch Ness monster, I would go down in history books. You'd be interviewed, you'd be doing commercials, (laughs) probably, and you'd have that million euros. All right, so let's get into our next strange fact and finding. You want to tell us about it, Dan? Yeah. So our next strange fact and finding is about some strange carvings. So... To understand where these strange carvings came from, we need to talk about the Picts. Now, the Picts were a group of people who lived in what is now northern and eastern Scotland during the early Middle Ages. So the early history of Pickland is unclear. Not much is actually known about them. Yeah, but what we do know about them is written by the Romans and what has been uncovered from the area where they were at. So the Romans actually called the Picts the Painted People. And these painted people were half-naked, covered in paint, enemies to the Romans, who pretty much dominated large parts of modern-day Scotland for nearly 600 years. Then all of a sudden, they mysteriously disappeared, leaving behind carved stones and remnants of their settlements across Scotland with little written clue as to what happened to them. Now, we aren't going to get into exactly the history of what happened to them, because that is not what this strange fact and finding is about. This strange fact and finding is about some of the carvings they left behind. So, a lot of their stone carvings depict a mysterious beast that is not easily identifiable with any real animal. Some say that this is a seahorse, others say it is a dolphin, However, some individuals point out that it may be their depiction of the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, so we have three images that we'll post up on our website. The first image is a rock with the right-hand corner of it broken off. And in the middle, you can see two carvings. The upper carving is like a moon that's face downwards. And then below that is the carving of this creature. And the next image that we'll have next to it is the tracing of this carving so that you could better see it. It does kind of look like a seahorse. I can see part of it being a seahorse, but the seahorse doesn't have like the front legs. That one has front legs. So it looks like it has front and back either legs or fins or tentacles because it almost kind of looks like tentacles the way they're wrapped around. It looks like a horse with an alligator mouth and an antenna on its head. I mean, it does look like an antenna. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there's another rock carving that we'll provide, which is more strange in my opinion, and it's kind of hard to see, but if you look close, in the upper part, you can see a horse, which looks like it's on land, and then down below, you can see the water, and then below the water, inside of it, you see a snake-like creature. That, I would believe, is more of like a depiction of Loch Ness rather than this seahorse in the other carving. Well, I don't know. If that drone footage was anything like 
Lochness actually being real, that weird seahorse looking thing might actually be it. Yeah. But they do describe it having like a snake head and long body, which the bottom one, I mean, that definitely looks like a snake-like creature. It does. So if you want to take a look at those photographs, like I've been saying this entire episode, just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and all the photographs will be right there for you to take a gander at. All right, so let's get into our last strange fact and finding, which is my personal favorite one. So our last strange fact and finding that we're going to get into is about the Bolskin house and its connection with Aleister Crowley or Crowley, whichever way you pronounce his last name. All right, so to understand this strange fact and finding, we need to start off back in the 13th century. And I know what you're thinking. Why are we talking about a house in Aleister Crowley or Crowley, however you pronounce it? What does it have to do with Loch Ness? Just pump your brakes. All this will connect together, okay? So we're going to start back in the 13th century. Now, during this time period, in the southeast side of the Loch Ness Lake in Scotland, there was a religious group named the Bolskins. So they decided to build a church there on the southeast side of the lake. So this religious group had this big church built right next to Loch Ness Lake. And according to legend, during congregation, the church had caught fire and actually killed everyone inside. Oh, Jesus. That's unfortunate. Mm. So shortly after that, a hunting lodge was built in the church's place, right next to the Loch Ness Lake. Fast forward to the year 1760. This hunting lodge was then purchased by a family, and then it was renovated into a suitable home. All the rooms of this home were situated on one floor with four bedrooms, a kitchen, servant's attic bedroom, lounge, drawing room, and a library. And get this, there was even a tunnel in the home linking the house to the local graveyard. All right, so before we talk about what happens to that house going forward, we need to talk about Aleister Crowley real quick. And if you don't know who he is, we did a very in-depth episode over him what, around like a year or so ago, Dan? I'd say about a year or so. Yeah. So I highly recommend listening to it if you haven't. But to sum it up, Alistair was pretty much one of the most famous occultists of all time. He founded the religion of Thelema, and he rubbed elbows with a lot, and I mean a lot, of famous people. So yeah, there you go. That's who Alistair Crowley is. Now, Alistair's father had a brewing business, and when he died, Alistair inherited some of the money. So in 1899, Alistair decided to go to Scotland and purchase that house that was located on Loch Ness Lake from that family who had purchased it back in the 1760s. So this home was then called the Bolskin House. Alistair chose this home because he believed the location was ideal to sequester himself to be able to perform a sacred ritual that was very hard to do and took a very long time. Now, according to Alistair in his book, The Confessions of Alistair Crowley, in order to perform this ritual, he says, and I quote, The first essential is a house in a more or less secluded situation. There should be a door opening to the north from the room in which you make your place of worship. Outside this door, you construct a terrace covered with fine river sand. This ends in a lodge where the spirits may congregate. So the purpose of this entire ritual was for Alistair to invoke his guardian angel, which would eventually grant him a wish. Now, the ritual itself, like I've stated previously, 
it took a very long time. It required at least six months of preparation, celibacy, and abstinence from alcohol. The ritual also included summoning the 12 kings and dukes of hell to bind them and remove their negative influences from the magician's life. So while Alistair was in the process of performing the lengthy ritual, he was interrupted and had to go to Paris. Now, there is a rumor that he never banished the demons that he had summoned, which led to strange happenings occurring not only in the Bolskin home, but also on Loch Ness. Yeah, which we'll go over that in more depth during theories. But right after Alistair had left and went back, the home remained empty until the end of World War II when a major Edward Grant purchased the home. Then, in 1965, Major Grant actually committed suicide in the home, which it was actually Alistair's bedroom that he committed suicide in, and he did it with a shotgun. Another strange thing that happened was that a newly married couple moved into the house. The wife was blind, and after a month of her and her husband moving into the home together, the husband just straight up left, leaving the woman wandering around unable to see. Now, there are more odd and weird things that occurred in that home that we talked about more in depth during the Aleister Crowley episode. However, I figured we should mention this home and a little bit about it since it did sit right next to the Loch Ness Lake. And supposedly, there was some demon summoning stuff going on with Aleister Crowley and all that stuff. I figured we had to mention it. You know, we couldn't not mention it, Dan. No, we had to. Yeah. So that was our last strange fact and finding, and now we're going to transition into the theories section. So Dan, do you want to start that off for us? So this first theory is that Nessie is, of course, real in the sense that, you know, that it's some creature out in Loch Ness, which that creature could actually be a giant eel. Okay, so this theory is that Loch Ness is real, but it's not what we think it is. It's not a mythical whatever creature it's actually a real animal that's being mistaken as a mythical creature correct a giant eel okay do you, do you have any proof to back that theory up yes so based on environmental dna sequence data obtained from the water of loch ness they did not find any prehistoric dna no catfish dna no shark dna but they did find eel dna in every location they took a water sample at now, this sample won't tell you the size of the eel, but it doesn't mean that the eels that live in Loch Ness may have grown to, well, a larger size. How big do eels get? I, I don't even know much about eels. How big do eels get? A European eel gets 2.6 feet. How does it seem that long? Oh, okay. The European congers average adult length is 5 foot, maximum of 7 feet possible to 9 to 10 feet 159 pounds jesus so maybe yeah okay looking up the conger eel i could see somebody mistaking this as hold on i'm gonna link the picture i'll provide it on the website take a look at this photograph i just linked and like i said i'll have it up on the website but it's a picture of a individual on a boat holding up a conger eel i mean that's a pretty big eel it's absolutely gigantic. Now, is it, it's not like no 20 feet, but... No, but still, I mean, if that was underwater and it just surfaced a little bit and came back down... Yeah. I could see people mistaking that as a Loch Ness Monster because that'd look like its neck. 
Yeah, just I don't see like say how some of the images have it like coming straight out of the water, just like chilling. I wouldn't see. I can't see that with this thing, but like the ones people with the photographs of like seeing the humps in the water and stuff. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Can they do that? I'm not an eel expert. If anyone out there that's listening is an eel expert, send us an email. We'd love to hear. We'd love to hear about eels. Aaron wants to know more about eels. Why are they slippery? So that right there is our first theory, that the Loch Ness Monster is just an eel. So let's get into this next theory that is probably one of the most believed ones, I would say, by individuals who talk about the Loch Ness Monster, which is that the Loch Ness Monster is actually a dinosaur. So many people believe that this creature that has been spotted over the past hundreds of years in this lake is actually a prehistoric dinosaur that has survived all of these years by traveling in large underground caves deep within the lake. Ultimately, that is where this creature hides, and every so often it will come up from out of those caves and make an appearance. So me and you were talking about this at dinner time, Dan, last night at the table, and we were talking about the possibility of maybe there being giant caverns or caves deep within this lake. And these caverns act sort of like a, a pathway to the ocean, which the ocean is not that far. No, only like six miles you get into the bay, then the ocean. Yeah. So maybe there is some prehistoric creature in the ocean that swims through these caves and then it takes them to this lake, this Loch Ness Lake. And maybe the creature every so often goes back and forth. Because realistically, let's think about it. If there is a prehistoric dinosaur, which is hard to say it with a straight face, living in this lake, what is it feeding on? If it is big as they say it is, it has to be eating massive amounts of food. Lots of eels. (laughs) So I'm thinking lots of eels, and if they don't find any DNA of it or anything, maybe it travels in and out, comes in every so often, and it travels through the underground caves that it has. And I know there's plenty of them in uh, Loch Ness, because I know they found one that was, like, real deep. Yeah, they found that 889-foot one. But anyways, so that right there is the second theory, that the Loch Ness Monster is a prehistoric dinosaur or some creature that lives in the ocean, that travels into the lake through underground caverns. So, Dan, why don't you tell us about this next theory we have? All right, so this next theory is kind of like a two-part one. They kind of go together. So the first part of it is that this theory is that people thought Nessie might have actually been an elephant for the first photo, the surgeon's photo. That's what they believed. So during the 1930s, especially the 1930s, Fairs and circuses were a common occurrence near Loch Ness. When the traveling carnivals would stop to let the animals rest and such, they would actually let the elephants out into Loch Ness to swim around, drink water, bathe, do all their elephant things they like to do. So a lot of people believed that this photo was during one of those times where a carnival was in town and that an elephant was swimming in the water, trunk out of the water, part of its head sticking up, And I have a photo of, you know, an elephant in the water and, you know, its trunk kind of sticking up, but most of its head sticking up, which I mean, it kind of does resemble that image just a little bit. It does. 
And I know you have another theory that kind of like links up to that one, doesn't it? I do. So the second part of that pretty much is that this theory is that it was a marketing ploy hoax that got bigger than it was supposed to. Kind of like how was, uh, what's his name? Weatherill? Marmaduke. Wanted to get back at Daily, at the Daily Mail or whatever. Made like a little plot to do get revenge. But this one was more of a marketing thing. So like I was saying, in the 1930s, there were fairs and circuses that were very common. What if something was made to grab the interest of the people, and when they traveled to Loch Ness area, they're like, well, shit, look, there's a fair and a circus. While we're here searching for this monster, we can go to the fair and circus, have some fun and all that stuff. They get there, they enjoy themselves, looking for this mysterious creature. But what would really make the people travel to Loch Ness to search for this creature? Well, one of the owners of the circus actually put out a pretty much like a bounty. He's just like, I promise to give anyone 20,000 pounds if they could capture this creature and bring it to me so I can put it in my circus. So that right there brings an influx of people wanting to capture this thing because 20,000 pounds back then is a shit ton of money now. Yeah. So that's like actually, what, $1.8 million? Due to inflation? Due to inflation, yes. So, like, why would the owner promise that much money, though? Because he knew it wasn't real. He's the one who made it up. Exactly. As a marketing ploy. It was actually one of his elements out in the water. Someone took a picture thinking that it might have been some kind of monster out there, thinking it might have been Nessie or something. And he went along with it. It's like... Smart. It really is. Super smart. I haven't even heard of that theory before, and I thought I've heard of all the Loch Ness theories. Dang, Dan. Coming with the heat. I found that one, and I'm just like, eh, the elephant things kind of thing. And then I read that the circus owner provided a bounty. I'm just like, mmm, that right there. He knows how to bring the people to the yard with that milkshake. <laughs> I like it. All right. So let's talk about this next theory we got, which this theory states that the Loch Ness Monster is real. However, it is not of this dimension. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, what kind of theory is this? Just stay with me here, okay? So this theory states that the government or some corporation created a tear in our dimension and allowed other creatures from different dimensions to pass through into ours. This is how ghosts, Bigfoots, Loch Ness, and all other types of crazy sh mythical creatures and stuff, this is where all of them originate from. So this Loch Ness creature is actually a creature from a different dimension. And to add to this theory, what if the men in black are a interdimensional cleanup crew? So imagine this. These men in black are sent in after an event to investigate who saw what and to fix any problems before they become problems. This cleanup crew, a.k.a. the men in black, are actually contracted by some intergalactic federation or interdimensional federation that has authority and oversees Earth's development. Once they get notified of a creature crossing over into our dimension that is not supposed to be there, they contact these men in black who come and correct things. Now, I know what you're wondering. How could this tear in our dimension happen? Some speculate because of CERN and they've, they've had it for longer than they've stated. Others say 
that it is because of Aleister Crowley. Now, you remember Aleister Crowley, him doing the summoning at that house nearby the lake? Some speculate that his summoning caused a tear in our dimension, and that is where the Loch Ness Monster came from. Pretty far out there theory, but it's fun to think about. It is fun to think about. And the last theory that I'm going to talk about that's kind of out there as well is called Ghost. So there are some individuals who have stated that they have remote viewed this Loch Ness creature and saw some weird things. Now, if you don't know what remote viewing is, we did an episode over it, so go take a listen to it. It's really good. Anyway, so one of these individuals who did the remote viewing of the Loch Ness creature, his name was Ed Dames. And he stated that when he remotely viewed this location, he learned that any photograph of this Loch Ness monster that had been captured is actually a photograph of a ghost of a dinosaur. So what we're seeing in these photographs, according to this theory, is that of a ghost of the creature, not the actual creature itself. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting theory. Uh, I don't really like it, though. See, but if it was a ghost, it wouldn't be making like waves or ripples in the water or anything like that. It would just be there. Yeah, that's true. I, me personally, I'm leaning more towards the elephants and the circus theory along with the eel one. It started off with the elephants and then as it progressed and got popularized, what these people are seeing as the Loch Ness Monster is actually the eels surfacing and going down. That's what I think as well. It started off with like the circus marketing and stuff, got even bigger. And then nowadays it's honestly just eels. I mean, I'd love to believe that there's a, I don't know, not a prehistoric dinosaur, but some kind of creature out there. It'd be pretty cool, but just, I don't know. It's, I guess it's like a Bigfoot thing. Do you either believe or you don't? Yeah. Besides that, I would say a close second in what I believe is that there is some undiscovered species of weird aquatic nature that goes inside of these large caverns in the ocean that leads to the Loch Ness Lake. And this creature occasionally goes into there and winds up at this lake. And I was like, holy shit, what the hell am I doing here? Goes back <laughs> and goes back through the caverns and back out into the ocean. See, I forgot the actual number but the Loch Ness Monster brings in a lot of tourists and pretty much business to that area so they make a decent amount of money off of stuff like that yeah and that's the problem too that's another thing that kind of makes me skeptical is whenever you bring in money into the situation and people's like hey let's push this you know their narrative their um, motivation to do certain things and say certain things and report about certain stuff kind of you know makes you wonder and not believe it which kind of sucks you know yeah i mean i believe something there because like we said those caverns and stuff have they actually even gone down and like gone inside those caverns at all no like they just haven't really investigated down in those yet because there could be something there they've only like i mean yeah they did the dna sequence data thing whatever and they've only found like they found other things there like other dna samples but they didn't find sharks, they didn't find catfish, they didn't find no prehistoric DNA. But what about in the caverns? I don't know, man. 
That's a good question. Well, if you or a loved one have been to the Loch Ness Lake and have seen Nessie, send us an email. We would love to hear about it. That's right. Email us. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode before we transition to our on the scene, Dan? I'm good. All right. Well, that is the end of our Loch Ness monster episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Now we are going to transition to our on the scene. So if you don't know what our on the scene is, it is where individuals from all around the world go and interview random people on the side of the road, themselves, family members, pretty much anyone, and ask them about certain conspiracy happenings or ask their opinion about certain things regarding conspiracies or cryptids or events that are happening around the world. Now, anyone can do this. All you have to do is just get your phone, record the conversation on it, and then submit that recording to our email. Could be at Aaron at theories of the third kind.com or it could be Dan at theories of the third kind.com. Just make sure the audio quality is decent. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect, but make sure there's like no gigantic hammers in the background or a jackhammer or like you're on a busy highway or something. And please make sure the audio is less than two minutes long. That's the only requirements we have. But feel free to submit your audio, and we will play it at the end of the show each week. Just make sure to label the email as On The Scene. Yes, please do that so we can keep track of it. All right, so for this week's On The Scene, we have Mariah, which we're going to play that right now. Doing an On The Scene. This is Mariah doing an On The Scene. Do you believe in Bigfoot? No. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Just... No comment. No comment. It's a hard one. It's a no. <laughs> it's a maybe. What about maybe. a form of an animal that counts as Bigfoot? No. How about, how about yourself? No. It's oh, been around for so long. Maybe. Somebody would have seen sure. more than footprints the foot, the, and images the Yeti by image? now. The Yeti I, image? I saw it. Do you believe in so aliens? No. Do you believe in aliens? There's... Way too much space What's out not there for to not believe. To be. But wouldn't we see yeah, anything I do. by now? Definitely extraterrestrials. What do we have? <laughs> yes, there's aliens. Maybe we all have. <laughs> yes, Maybe no. we wouldn't all have seen Yeah, them. I live with them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's What about yes. werewolves? We're going to this. Thank you, guys. What's the song? All right. Well, that was interesting. That was quite interesting. I mean, I like the different views. Not everyone said yes or no so i mean some believe some didn't believe except we all know bigfoot is real yeah <laughs> and i like how most of the people at least from what i could tell believe that aliens were out there there's something out there my thing is i don't even know if i should give this constructive criticism next time don't sit at the kitchen table with your entire family and get everybody to talk over one another <laughs> interview them separately Walk up to each one of them in their room right before they're going to sleep, sneak into the room, stick the phone right next to the face, scare them, say, do you believe in Bigfoot? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you believe in aliens? And uh, get them to say it, and then you can, you know, go to the next person's room and do it. And Soon later, the cops are called, and they're wondering what you're doing. You're saying, I'm doing on the scene for theories of third kind. You can interview them. Yeah, then interview them, and they'll probably say no, and then probably start saying, stop resisting. Then, it just goes, then you run. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> But yeah, 
I mean, regardless, I love the on the scene. Thank you for getting the entire family involved and getting their opinions. I'm proud of you. I love you. And I wish you and your family good tidings. Is that the right? I don't even know. Good, good vibes. I don't know what to say. Vibes. I like that. Good one. tidings and health may come to you and your family. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That'd be like a new uh, segment. Dinner table talk. <laughs> yeah. All right. So again, thank you. Love you. Proud of you, Mariah. Yes. Thank you for the on the scene with the family. Much love. So now we're going to transition to shout outs. Dan, would you like to start it off? Because I usually do my shout outs on my phone. I have all of them on my phone and my phone just mysteriously died during our recording. And I'm not giving him a charger. That's his own fault. Yeah. He's not giving me a charger, ladies and gentlemen. So do you want to do your shout outs and then we'll transition into birthday shout outs? Yeah, I only got pretty much like three shout outs for this week. Just three, then the rest are birthday shout outs. Okay. So the first shout out goes to, to Amberly and Joaquin on celebrating 12 wonderful years together on the 30th. They've been married for 12 years. Congrats. You're doing it. Amazing. Congratulations. I'm proud of y'all. See you. Then the next shout out goes to, what's this guy's name? Uh, see, I don't know his name, but he's been married for two years with the, his wife, Alyssa. So they were married on Friday the 13th in 2020. So it's their two year anniversary was this month. Congratulations. I'm upset that we did not get invited to the wedding. Right. But he's one of the guys that, uh, always messes with us about stickers. <laughs> oh, did he not get his yet? He, I don't think he did, but he did give his address in this one. So we were able to get that to him now. Hopefully. Okay. And then the last shout out is from Raul. I was wondering if you guys could give a shout out to his friends, Felipe, Jorge, and Miguel. We all hear you guys whenever we're slaving for the man upstairs. Makes our day fly by as always. Love you. I'm proud of you. So shout out to Raul, Felipe, Jorge, and Miguel. Shout out to y'all guys. Stick it to the man. Love Stick you. it to the man. Like it. And that's all I have for shout outs this week because there are a ton of birthday shout outs nice all right uh just an fyi for future reference please do not send birthday shout out requests on our website contact form if you want a birthday shout out please just email us either aaron at theories of the third kind.com or dan at theories of the third kind.com and put in the subject line birthday shout out it makes it so much more easier for us to keep things organized yeah, because these ones come in from our support email. The subject line is just saying a forward message instead of like being able just to organize it to where we can do it each week easily. Yeah. All right. So do you want to start off the birthday shout outs, Dan? Of course. So the first birthday shout out. So this is from Armando. He wanted us to help wish his girlfriend, Julissa, a happy birthday, which is on the 30th of this month. So happy birthday to Julissa. I hope I said your name right. Happy birthday, Jalissa. I hope it's a good one. Stay safe out there. Proud of you. Nice. All right. The next one is a happy birthday shout out to Blake. Or her birthday is on the 28th. So it will be the day after this episode comes out. She's like, started listening earlier this year and you immediately became my favorite podcast. No contest. As soon as I finish at the free episode, I'm joining the Patreon ASAP. So happy birthday to Blake. Hope you have a good birthday and you be safe out there partying. Happy birthday, Blake. I used to go to school with a guy named Blake. And a whole bunch of people gave him money to buy them steroids from Russia. And he sent like 
six grand to Russia. And of course, he never got the steroids. And then he got his ass whooped by a lot of people at my high school. Why would they think a high schooler can get them steroids? I don't know. Anyway. Oh. Happy birthday, Blake. I hope it's a good one. Love you. I'm proud of you. Don't sell steroids. The next birthday shout out goes to Swayze from Discord. His birthday is the week of Halloween. I don't know how old he turns, but happy birthday to Swayze. Happy birthday. I love you. I'm proud of you. The next birthday shout out goes to Cheyenne Walker from her fiance, Ben. Her birthday is on October 30th. We have a lot of October 30th birthdays. There's a lot of people who, who have birthdays in October, it seems like. Yes, there's an abundance of it. So happy birthday to Cheyenne. The next one is to D'Angelette's buddy, Justin. His birthday is on October 27th, the day this episode comes out. So happy birthday to Justin. Happy birthday, Justin. I'm proud of you and I love you. I used to go to school with a guy named Justin. He was the quarterback of the high school football team. Really tall dude, like six foot four, six foot five. And it was crazy because his freshman year, he wasn't that tall. He was only like 5'9", 5'10". That summer, after the summer ended and we come back from our sophomore year, the dude had grown tremendously. Like, damn, dude, you grew like a tree. He must have got leg implants. Yeah. I need those. Happy birthday, Justin. I hope you're very tall. (laughs) If not, congratulations. All right. Our next birthday shout out goes to Ryan Hinky or Hinchy. I don't know how to say your last name, but happy birthday to Ryan. His birthday is October 28th. And he requests a Macho Man Randy Savage birthday. He turns 42. Okay. Before I give you that, I just want to say something that I just realized. I know that I said just a few moments ago that, hey, there's a lot of birthdays in October. And I now know why. A lot of people were f***ing on Valentine's Day. If you f*** around Valentine's Day, you conceive around Valentine's Day. Your due date is around October, November. And a lot of these are late October. Yeah. So there you go. Congratulations for getting some on Valentine's Day. All right, so who's this birthday shout-out to again? What's his name? To Ryan. Ryan, he wants a macho man? Macho man Randy Savage birthday. He's 42. Mm, It's going to be hard because I am sick right now, if you haven't noticed. I've got croup. And supposedly it's very serious in adults, and it's very rare for adults to get it. But I have it, and I've been wheezing at night when I sleep. So if I die at nighttime, just know that's the reason why, okay? I'm giving the CIA an out this week. Nice. All right. Well, not nice. <laughs> Was it Randy? Randy's the name? Ryan. 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 Okay. All right. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something, Ryan. It's your birthday. Yeah. And I want you to know that I'm the cream of the crap. But not always. Because you're the cream of the crap on your birthday, brother. Yeah. Happy birthday, Ryan. Oh, I like that one. Happy birthday, Ryan. And my throat's messed up. Sorry. Wasn't that great? Now Aaron's dying over there. Yeah. All right. Next shout out goes to, let's see, Wyatt, who is turning 26. She's, his girlfriend said that he makes me listen to your show every day and I can't complain. I love it. Please, please sing him happy birthday. Grazie. Is his first name Bray? His first name, he is Wyatt. Oh, his first name's Wyatt. So it's not his last name. Oh, so his name's not Bray Wyatt. It's just Wyatt. Just Wyatt. Okay. So he's turning 26. Don't know when his birthday is, but I guess it's this month. All right. Well, happy birthday, Wyatt. Happy birthday, Wyatt. Oh. Happy birthday, Wyatt. Happy birthday, Wyatt. Oh. Okay. Moving on. All right. So the next birthday shout out goes to David. His birthday was on October 14th. Uh, this was an email that we missed. But can you do a weird happy birthday song for him, please? From Ava? 
Eva? Ava? Okay. Who's it? To David? To David. Man, I used to have a best friend in high school named David. David Haddix. My freshman year in high school, he got into a car with... Forget the guy who he got in the car with. But anyways, got into a wreck and he died. That's sad. Yeah, it was really sad. Anyway, um... All right, a weird happy birthday to David. Okay. Happy birthday. I just want you to know it's happy birthday. Happy birthday, David. I love you. There you go. Happy birthday, bitch. This is how we get kicked off of podcasting. <laughs> this bad singing shit that we're doing. <laughs> we're going to get copyrighted by somebody. That bad singing is mine. <laughs> I sung that song first. Anyways. All right. So this next birthday shout out is to Zach England. His birthday is on October 23rd. And he will be 28 this year. This is from his wife, Shayla. She said, only request is that Aaron throws in a Jesus Christ while singing somewhere. Happy birthday to Zach. Jesus Christ! Goddamn dying over here. All right. We only got a couple more. (laughs) I told you, there's a lot in October. All right. So the next happy birthday goes out to, I believe, see. So it's a double whammy here. A birthday shout out to Aaron McDaniel's daughter, Lena. Her, she will be 10 on 11-11. Yeah, saving that one for saving, you. Saving that one. All right, so the next one is Beth James. Her birthday is October 14th. So happy birthday to her, belated birthday. Happy late birthday. I love you and I'm proud of you. Then the next one, Brand, Brady Merritt. Another belated birthday since we missed it. Don't know what day, but we missed it. So happy birthday. Sorry about that. Happy birthday. I love you. And then what's today? The 25th. So yesterday was Marco Ramirez's birthday. His birthday was the 24th. No, it was on the 21st. And he turned 24 and he's like, can y'all give me a birthday shout out in an Austin Powers voice? That's for you. And then I have to do it in an Elvis voice. Yeah, baby. Yeah. I just want to. I don't even know how to do Austin Powers. And then Elvis at the same... I can do a better Elvis than I can do Austin Powers. L- let me see your Elvis to him. Uh, I can't do it. I can't, I can't even think of the voice in my head right now. Uh-huh. Well, listen here, Michael. Happy birthday. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A uh, little fact here, okay? When I was... Let's see. It was when we lived on the peanut farm. Uh, yeah, my family lived on a peanut farm. Uh, when was that? I was like three or four years old. I specifically remember sitting in front of the mirror at the peanut farm that we lived at and looking at my face in the mirror and purposely trying to get my lip to go up like Elvis. And I sat there for hours and now I can do it. I knew a guy in class that he got so bored. He, uh-huh. what, after school detention, he said he practiced that and he finally got it to where he could make his lip go up without moving his nose and stuff. Like he did it just the lip, not even the nose. I was just like, that's pretty impressive. Oh, you nothing but a hound dog, Marco. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah. So I guess since Aaron did Elvis. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Do I make you? Wait, never mind. Do I make you horny, baby? (laughs) Yeah. Happy birthday, Marco. Happy birthday. Then let's see. The last one is a happy birthday to Fernando. His birthday was October 26th, which is tomorrow after recording this. So day before this comes out. Happy birthday, Fernando. Proud of you and I love you. Yep. Happy birthday. And that is it for the sh- uh, birthday shout outs this week because the rest of them can be done next week nice that was a lot that was and before we end this episode there is something that i want to mention when we started this podcast we never expected it to grow and have an impact as much as it 
has. It has made a, I mean, honestly, on our lives, but not just our own. To, it seems like a lot of people as well. And I still envision it as like us talking to like nobody, like just ourselves. I don't realize that we have an audience that listens to us and that it impacts other people's lives. And for the past couple months, we've got some very touching emails about how our podcast has affected and helped people out through tough times, whether it be them going through chemo or loss of a loved one or them suffering with depression or anxiety or just a tough time in life. And I just want to say that those emails don't go overlooked. No email goes overlooked, you know, but those are very special ones. And if anyone out there is suffering from depression or anxiety or just having a tough time in life and you look at this as like an outlet, I just want to say thank you. You know, we love doing this and don't give up. You know, times are tough. If you need somebody to talk to, always reach out to someone. Don't suffer alone and don't be ashamed that you're going through that. There is no shame in asking for help. It was just like last night, you know, doing part of that document and I started to go through like, you know, the messages and stuff we get. And I read a couple of the messages, you know, and then honestly, you know, I felt it. What I ended up doing, literally went into the kitchen, started baking some chocolate cookies. And I, <laughs> Dan was like, I can't cry. I got to go bake some cookies. He's like, hey, I'm baking cookies. You want to come over? And I immediately got off my laptop and ran over to his house. Dude, he came and next thing I know, he's knocking on the door and there we are at the kitchen table eating cookies with milk. <laughs> And like we we sat there just talking about the stuff. It's just we don't realize immediately that the effect we have on people. I just know that when I went through hard times, the podcast helped me. And I just I guess I didn't realize it does the same for others. Yeah. So I want to say thank you to the people that don't realize that it helps us as well. As much as it helps you, it helps us. Because we all go through tough times and everyone has a different way of coping with the way they do things and whatnot. But the podcast has helped us. Yeah. And if it helps y'all, that's amazing. I'm so happy that it does. Yep. So I just wanted to say to wrap that up is if you're suffering, don't suffer alone. Talk to someone and uh, reach out and keep climbing that mountain. As tough as it seems, don't stop. Never give up and keep climbing it. The mountain being life, right? Yeah. And just know that we love you and we're proud of you. Absolutely. We love you and we are proud of you. I want to thank you for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. Don't you forget that you are amazing, every single one of you. So, with that being said, Dan, do you want to roll us out? Sure, will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts because you are not alone. Oh.